Kunai has been at the forefront of digital and financial services for years, believing customers want what they want, when and how they want it. Kunai exists to cut through the noise and consider how fintech and financial services can do even better delivering for customers. Today, Kunai partners with leading companies including MasterCard, Visa, and more to build seamless customer experiences that unite digital products with fintech. It promises to deliver digital experiences that your customers will love, while also reducing time to value through Kunai's implementation knowledge and IP. Interested in partnering with them? Get in touch. The word alternative kind of gives this connotation of very high risk and difficult to understand. The definition of alternative investments is anything that's not a normal investment. I think that what our customers do is that they're able to take what we believe is appropriate to do a small portion of long time horizon money with good tax treatment. So I think it's an empowerment thing. So we're not guiding people to investments. We just enable them to unlock the monies that they already have and then go into investments that they may feel like they have an edge and understanding, but also supports an overall diversification strategy for their portfolio. Hi everyone, it's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Tux Time podcast from Fintech Today, where we talk about all things fintech. And in this episode, I am joined by Henry Yoshida, co-founder and CEO of Rocket Dollar, an Austin-based company. Uh, Henry and I have known each other for a few years. We'll get into that a little bit later. He had another company before he started Rocket Dollar. Uh, but just given the Peter Thiel IRA news, I hit up Henry again, and he has founded a company that is focused on that space. So I wanted to chat. Henry, how are you? Hi, how's it going, Julie? Great to talk today. I am good. I'm excited to dive into this. So tell me a little bit about Rocket Dollar and what made you want to start this company. Because I remember when we were texting back and forth when we were talking about doing this podcast, you actually gave a presentation a few years ago telling people like, hey, people like Peter Thiel and others have done this thing where they're going to have awesome investments in their IRA accounts and they're not going to have to pay taxes on it. Yeah, I did. So it was actually the public launch of our company. So it was the startup pitch competition at uh, Money 2020 in 2018. And, you know, I'd actually put both Max Levchin, who was the CTO of PayPal, worked with Peter Thiel back in the day, and Peter in that same presentation. And when I got to the main stage to give that presentation, I guess it was pretty timely um, that I'd had both of them involved in that deck that I'd created with the script as Easter eggs that I just sort of (laughs) dropped uh, throughout. And, you know, my fascination with these sort of tax-advantaged accounts actually has been kind of the focus of my entire career. So maybe it was somewhat inevitable that that uh, I would end up creating a company in that space at some point. Yeah. And you say it's, uh, you know, your entire career has focused on this. Talk to me a little bit about what you were doing before Rocket Dollar and how it sort of culminated into this. Yeah. Um, so when, when I graduated college, I, I started at Merrill Lynch. I ended up spending 10 years there. But I had started in the middle of the internet bubble bursting, so kind of the year 2000, you know, peak of the NASDAQ, and it was really hard to work with individual clients, so I ended up pivoting because I couldn't get individual clients to work with me at Merrill to setting up small business 401k plans, so that just kind of set me on this path to where I've never left and did that for 10 years. Uh, The companies I worked with started getting bigger and bigger, then I created a management consulting shop to focus on the same space. So again, technically I was the financial advisor for large companies. So think like, you know, being the financial advisor for the 401k for Whole Foods or 
for other companies. Um, I even consulted for a little bit on the Bloomberg plan when it was with J.P. Morgan at the time years ago. And then that led to a robo-advisor in the IRA space. And just to serve a different market and sort of a growing trend, you know, I just saw this gap that there was a need for people to be able to do slightly different investments inside of these accounts that, you know, quite frankly, have existed since 1974, and then thus Rocket Dollar. Right. So, okay. So before you started Rocket Dollar, you were also, you started a company that you sold to Goldman Sachs. And this is how I met you. I remember writing about the, uh, I think it was the acquisition um, was the point where I wrote a story about you guys while I was at Bloomberg. Tell me a little bit about the company that you sold to Goldman. Yeah. So it, it was actually set up. Um, my thesis is I always look at some sort of trend that's happening outside of me. You know, I, I, I feel like as an entrepreneur, you always have to have sort of this understanding of maybe trends that you don't necessarily control but are starting to happen. And that kind of becomes the basis for maybe creating a great product, a great business, a great service, or a great idea, or in a lot of cases, an entirely new business category. And the what was happening then was that I started to see the rise of these gig economy workers, you know, people that were kind of working for themselves, that the, the 1099 sort of revolution was happening. And once you do that, a lot of things are taken away from you when you no longer work at a big company. So benefits on the insurance side and retirement benefits as an investment-based benefit. So the last company was a robo-advisor that was essentially only providing IRAs, but it kind of functioned as like a gig economy uh, quasi-401k plan or retirement savings plan. That was the premise of, of Honest Dollar. That's how it was created. Got yeah, and I feel like um, you know that makes even more sense today, just given that there's the freelance economy, the gig economy. It's only gotten bigger since uh, you sold that to Goldman. And what was it like, 2016, 2017, I want to say. Yeah, twenty sixteen, mid midway through the year, twenty sixteen. It was very right. early takeout for us. So in Honest Dollar in its Goldman days, now are they doing anything similar to what Rocket Dollar is doing, where they can do, uh, you know? stock options and other things, put the, putting them in IRAs? Or is that something that more companies like you, Alto, and others in the startup space are more focused on? Uh, well, so there's actually always been this sort of small tranche of legacy providers that have given these alt-capable IRAs. And of course, obviously, someone like Peter Thiel, going back to the late 90s uh, mm -hmm. and early 2000s, would have had an existing provider uh, far predating you know, myself and, and Rocket Dollar to do this with. So they've always existed uh, just in a very small way in parallel to the quote unquote, I guess you could say, more known IRA and 401k uh, strategies. And then to your point that uh, actually they recast the company uh, that, that joined Goldman Sachs into Marcus Invest. I think it's called Marcus Invest. So it, it kind of functions more like a traditional robo-advisor uh, in the ilk of, let's say, the wealth fronts or the betterments and so forth. So it's less IRA focused and more generally investment focused, which probably makes sense for their uh, very broad audience that originally would have come through the lending platform side of Marcus and the, the online savings bank. So with, you know, this story coming out and even just COVID in general, I feel like people had more time to think about what they wanted to invest in, what they wanted to trade, you know, things were shut down, they were stuck at home. How did that impact Rocket Dollar's business? Yeah, well, I think it helped. Uh, you know, people people did a lot of what I think um, they spent time at home. So people got to focus on home. And, and I was a big benefactor of that. I mean, I really, you know, personally enjoyed being able to 
spend more time at home with my family, my two daughters. Uh, you know, we had a medical thing in the family, so it was good to actually be home during 2020 to deal with that on the personal level. But then having this acceptance that you could still do your job while being at home too. And uh, it goes back to everyone was sort of organizing things in their life. So you saw this huge uptick in sort of home improvement projects and sort of financial, I would say, housekeeping things at the personal uh, family level. And that did benefit us quite a bit. And I'm, I'm not sure it's necessary that people just jumped out and wanted to do investments, but I think that people had time to become maybe more aware of what they had. I mean, I think the premise for us is a little bit less about, you know, hey, there's these cool alternative investments that are flashy startups and crypto that people want to invest in. And maybe more that maybe I have an asset level that's at a point now where I just should just diversify outside of stocks, bonds and mutual funds. I mean, that's what the pros, that's what the institutions do. And individual investors, I think, just had a lack of time. So they couldn't really look for these things or look for vehicles to to um, move monies into. And 2020 kind of gave them time to find folks like me, platforms, you know, the crypto or alternative investment space generally. So it was a big boon. On that front too, though. So these pros that you talk about making these types of investments, they typically have a lot of experience in this space or they have a wealth manager that's helping them do this. What does Rocket Dollar do to help people steer their investment decisions, make, uh, you know, smart decisions, things like that. Because in my mind, not just anyone should be able to go and, you know, use some alternative investment platform. Although I also don't know that everyone should be able to invest in cryptocurrency with how crazy of an investment that is as well. So it's this it's this weird thing, but I, I know you're passionate about truly helping people. So what types of things do you do to make sure that they understand what they are investing in? Yeah. Um, I mean, if if anything, I might, I might almost argue that uh, using the word alternative kind of gives this connotation of very high risk, very sort of uh, opaque and difficult to understand. And that's not always the case. I mean, the definition of alternative investments is anything that's not a normal investment. Um, so, you know, I've been a career financial services person. I've given lots of advice related to money decisions and helped guide, you know, billions of dollars. And I still take that sort of background and professional responsibility very seriously. And I think that what our customers do is that they're able to take what we believe is a appropriate to do a small portion of long time horizon money with good tax treatment. So, you know, a 30 year old individual today actually has a 30 year time horizon with any money that's in their IRA. So with that you know, sort of knowledge, you can do different types of investments. And then the alternatives that we find our customers doing that they actually feel pretty empowered to to have this information that they are privy to because of their industry or their friend network or their geography. So I'll give an example that um, our customers open an account, then they transfer some portion of monies that they already have, it, and they just happen to live in the Midwest, or now you live in Austin, for example, and they start to learn maybe opportunities that, that exist, uh, maybe places where there's a brand new Tesla factory being opened and you can look for an investment property close to that. That's unique insider knowledge. I mean, in a way, um, that's a microcosm of this sort of, you know, legal inside information that now you can act on and, and invest in with your monies. So I think it's an empowerment thing. So we're not guiding people to investments. That's not what Rocket Dollar does. We just enable them to unlock the monies that they already have and then go into investments that they may feel like they have an edge and understanding, uh, but also supports an overall diversification strategy for their for their portfolio overall. 
with this money unlocked and a lot of insider knowledge for many of them, like what are the things they're trading with that knowledge? Is it real estate? Is it art? Is it investing in their friends' companies? Is it something else? Uh, so it, it's a pretty broad breakdown. I mean, I looked at this sort of in preparation for the conversation with you that... I you know, appreciate that. Yeah, so... <laughs> it, and we keep great data analytics on on everything. So we know that uh, right now, and, and some of it's due to increased recent interest and, of course, increased market uh, increases as well. But we're about 20% overall in digital currencies broadly. Um, we're about 25% in real estate broadly. Now, that that's defined as people that might buy an entire rental property outright, as well as people that invest in some sort of small syndication for a real estate uh, fund or project. And then another 25% or so that broadly goes into uh, companies directly. And then the balance goes into small private funds as an LP. So that could be on the venture private equity side. And then, you know, people immediately think about the big, big names, but there's actually many, many millions of funds out there that kind of exist at much smaller levels. And maybe people have the ability to become an LP in them with our accounts. So it's broad based in terms of people what invest in. What have you seen? I'm assuming crypto has done pretty well over the past year and that it wasn't that percent. It was a lower percent if we would have had this conversation a year ago. What other asset classes might have done better or worse than they have previously? Uh, so I think that um, I think people like the real estate one. So there's been an increase in that. But, you know, they understand that they're matching this somewhat long time horizon investment you know, with the type of account that's already geared towards long time horizons and very good tax treatment. And I think what people like is that uh, it's consistent and it's tangible. So we see a little bit less of the uh, securitization of that collectibles market. So like art uh, and, and trading cards, for example. I mean, that's not so much our market, but we do see a lot more in this tangible. So I think people like and they're increasing their holdings in, in tangible type of things and the ability to go into these private funds is also interesting for people because I think that I kind of view that venture and private equity is actually the replacement for what are micro and small cap stocks from 15, 20 years ago. That's fair. I hadn't thought about that like that, but you actually have a really good point. And to be honest, with some places like Stripe and others still being private, you get some large cap names in there to a certain extent as well. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I'll give you just to kind of talk about how the market has changed for investments in the companies, right? As we record this, there's companies that, uh, late stage technology companies that are filing their S1s and or going public uh, via SPAC or traditional, um, let's say like the Robin Hoods, the SoFi's and so forth. But I remember going to a presentation, one of the last things I did before people stopped traveling for the pandemic, and it was with Jerry Yang, the, you know, the co-founder CEO of Yahoo!, and he gave a story that they actually filed their S-1 uh, when they were right at a million dollars in revenue, but slightly below it. And the form actually had you kind of write, it started at one million, so they just rounded up. So that means that people were able to go into these companies. You know, companies like Microsoft went public at very early stages for today's standards. And I think that people need to have the ability uh, to try to access some of these things early, or they don't have a chance because now these companies don't come to market until they're much, much later stage. It's a different world. And I think my job is to allow people to have access to the monies they already have. And maybe someone else's job is to provide access to those companies at the earlier stage. The other big question that I have here then is right now, 
any amount that you earn is tax-free in many of these accounts. Do you think there's going to come a time in the future uh, with a change in administration, whatever it might be, where only up to X amount is tax-free? And then if you make more than that, say the billions that Peter Thiel has made, then you get taxed on a portion of that. Uh, I, I think that's a definite possibility and probably something that's pretty relevant, too. I mean, I think when these rules were created and then they've been modified at periodic times since 1974 in ERISA, um, you know, Tax Act in 1986 and then again in the in the early 2000s, they they always did the cap on the contribution side. So the limits have actually changed almost on average every year and a half to two years, typically pegged to inflation on what you can put into the account. But none of the regulators sort of envisioned this scenario where there'd be outsized returns on the underlying investments themselves. So um, they've actually tried to curb that growth by capping contributions, which was a defined amount. So currently that's $6,000 for uh, people that are under the age of 50 on an annual basis. And I think going forward, they'll probably create a cap on the on the other side for the value of the account than anything in excess of that you don't get the benefits of that tax deferral or tax-free gains if it's a Roth versus a traditional and so forth. So I do foresee that that would happen. And I actually kind of think that that'd be a good thing too, because it's just preventing these sort of large, outsized, long-tail scenarios that no one could have envisioned 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. You or me, I think uh, even if we did do a decent job, I don't know that we'd have the crazy returns that someone like a Peter Thiel has in his IRA account. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that's true. But, you, you know, but the thing is that there's a lot of people out there. We live in a town. We live in a town right now that there's a lot of people that have had that sort of great investment. I mean, that is maybe, you know, at, a, at an epic all time historically great investment level, uh, to be fair. But, you know, there's a lot of people that that utilize this tool, the Roth IRA and the traditional IRA, and they've been able to defer the taxes and they've been able to grow big accounts. I mean, you know, on the one side, we spend a lot of time talking about one individual who has a $5 billion IRA. But on the other hand, there are significantly increasing numbers of people that have achieved seven-figure account sizes in their 401ks and IRAs. And I think what my company is trying to serve is that once an account gets to a certain size, you need to have the flexibilities to access different investments for diversification purposes to responsibly manage what is relatively uh, to you now a large size account. And I'm not sure Total. that the current providers allow you to do that. I think they sort of put you into this 3,700 public company universe and of which the top 10 actually make up 28.5% of the market overall today. And that's kind of restrictive, I think, by 2021 standards. Yeah. So if you were able to pick one company that's currently private to put into your rocket dollar IRA account, which one would it be? Yeah. So um, I started by a couple friends of mine, but I really like uh, there's a there's a company very early stage called Revere VC. So uh, it's it's going to be one of these spinouts from an angel list uh, and they're active now. And they basically allow you to do micro investments into emerging fund managers. So mm. I, I like that. So these are, you're, you're both like, it, it, it hits two of my passions. So one is that you're able to go and diversify your investments and go into these sort of early stage and private deals. And then on the other hand, these are funds being raised by emerging managers. So I kind of feel like you're also supporting someone's new entrepreneurial efforts too, because maybe they're a spin out or a breakaway from one of the large venture funds. 
so they could focus on a particular thesis, for example. And I love that aspect of it. Yeah, that was a very fast answer. You must be a Tux Time listener and have known that I've asked people that in the past. <laughs> well, uh, I was just looking at the portal uh, earlier, too. So, um, so yeah, it, it's just kind of You were well prepared. You were well prepared. So I guess, what do you think are like the common misconceptions about stuff like this? I think people have learned a lot more about alternative investing over the past year or so, but I think... You made a good point earlier that alternative just seems high risk, but you know I can name a lot of stocks that would be higher risk than a lot of the alternative investments that you're offering. Yeah, that's that's exactly true. I mean, so remember, alternative is just something that's not traditional. That's the definition from an investment standpoint. And when I started my career and I first got licensed to be a financial advisor, alternative investments was actually a mutual fund that invested in the public stocks of a country outside of the United States. <laughs> or maybe one of the top, you know, let's say what is today the G7 countries. So that was alternative then. Alternative today is Dogecoin, you know, and alternative investment platforms. I mean, it's just, it's changed over time, but it doesn't necessarily connote something that's just high risk um, for people. It's just something different. And remember, I, I think that there's a revolution going on now where people like tangible investments. I mean, at the end of the day, you've probably talked about this on your podcast with other people, but you know, you have this company GameStop. It gets levered up to roughly 127 times the entire tangible market book value of the company. So I'm not sure that that's as, let's say, real or tangible versus someone that might buy a house and rent it out permanently on Airbnb as both an investment um, and an asset that they can own forever. I mean, you know, it's relative. One's a publicly traded stock that's required to report through the SEC. The other is, quote unquote, an alternative investment. Um, but I can go touch, feel, and see one one of them. And the other one is 127 times levered to book value. Yeah. So if anyone wants to go check out Rocket Dollar, how should they do that? And are there any restrictions to using your platform, like a certain, you know, assets you have to put in, age, you do you have to be an accredited investor, anything like that? Yeah. So so we are an IRA platform. So the qualifications for us are the same for anyone to open an IRA broadly, whether that's at a traditional incumbent provider or us. So that's, you know, typically sort of 18 years of age and um, uh, U.S. citizenship and so forth. But the accreditation status, if people choose to do those investments, are actually gated by the particular investments they may choose to do. And we have all this. And, you know, one of the things I'll point people to our website at rocketdollar.com. So it's just simple, the rocketdollar.com. Um, but, you know, I encourage people to learn about it I mean, on our knowledge base side. I mean, don't come to that site and I don't expect you to sign up. I, I, have this hope that I can educate you and answer the questions and get you comfortable with this, you know, wonderful capability that for better or worse, I guess more recently, Peter Thiel made more broadly known uh, in a good or bad way, but it is a powerful planning tool. And as someone who's been a financial advisor for 20 years, I think that people spend a lot of time thinking about what to invest in, what not to invest in, when to buy, when to sell. But it's almost as equally important to determine how you hold these assets like tax deferred, taxable, and so forth. And that's a dimension that 
you know, a lot of financial advisors actually do very well by helping their clients understand. Well, that is all we have time for today. But if you love this podcast, go check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts. Give us a rating and go check out Rocket Dollar as well. Let us know if you sign up for it. We love to keep track of what people love on here, what they want to see more of. Until next time, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Julie.